Welcome to the Truth Simply Put, the teaching broadcast vehicle of the Basilea Commission. On today's teaching by Alexander Victor, God's Word, rightly divided in the light of Christ, who is the central theme of the entire scriptures, will come with simplicity, precision, clarity, and power to instruct, admonish, edify, and build you up into the full measure of the stature of Christ. Now, let's dive straight in. So we'll continue and just finish grace. Is that good? Grace expressed a supernatural ability also finds expression in our service in church and doing God's will. Second Corinthians chapter 8. I'll read from verse 1 right through very quickly in the New King James. Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God. Do you see that? Bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. The grace of God bestowed on the churches. Now, churches means that they are saved by grace. For them to be church means that they have been saved by grace. Are you here now? So this grace being bestowed cannot be saving grace. Make sense? Cannot be saving grace. It's the supernatural endowment of God that was bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia. And then you see the colon which means what is coming next is about to explain or qualify that grace that was bestowed upon them. Are you follow me? So this grace is explained thus from verse 2. That in, so this grace is that in the great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. I know someone's thinking, oh, New King James, that's a lot of words. So let's switch to TPT in verse 2. For even during a season of severe difficulty and tremendous suffering, they became even more filled with joy. Somebody say grace. They became even more filled with joy, it goes on to say, from the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant generosity in their deep poverty. I don't have... Each time they ask me to give, I want to give, oh pastor, it's not like I don't want to give. I really want to give. I just don't have. You will never have. Because you have, as a conduit, to give. You have in order to give. Does that make sense? So if you're going, oh, I never, oh, I never, oh, I would have loved to, oh, I don't have. Pastor, pray for me. I'm believing God. And I get a job, a better job. You get a job, you get bills. You get a better job, you get bigger bills. Never ends. You get a room, you're paying 4,000 naira a month. That's like 48 grand or something like that a year. And then you pay toilet fee of how much? 5 grand, 10 grand. Let's say 5 or 10 Gs. That's 60 grand. You most likely pay 200 naira for, for, for Nepa. So what? Your outlay is what? 60 Gs? Something like that, 65 Gs a year. You're earning 30, 40 grand a month, 20 grand even. That's 240 grand a year. You know, so you're kind of okay. And then you get a job, God smiles on you. You get a job and then he ups your salary to 80, 90, 100 Gs a month. You're like, whoa, I'm in the big league now. If the first thing that comes to your mind 
is to go from that room to a self-con. You're poor. If the first thing that comes to your mind is to go from that room to a self-con, 150, 140, okay, 110,000 will share toilet. Then you're very poor. But you see, that's what the average person would do. Because the average human being feels like they are obligated to show their enemy their success. Average person, that's the first thing. Because the, the pressure we are under is that you cannot succeed in quiet. This is the desire that fuels social media madness. If you go out to have lunch at a restaurant and it scratches you until you post it on WhatsApp status, you're poor. I mean, you can argue with yourself all you like. I don't give a toss. Justify it anyhow you like. If you are not comfortable until you show your plate. Because here's what you're showing. I managed to go outside my normal quality of life today. I managed to escape my normal quality of life today. My brethren, celebrate with me. You know what that highlights? Extreme poverty. Extreme social and spiritual depravity. Now, the, the part of you that wants to make you argue with me now is the part of you that has kept you in that poverty. The part of you now that is reacting as I'm speaking is the part of you that will make you never see and accept what I'm saying. And you will never break that cycle in your life. Never break that cycle. You know why? Because the average person doesn't feel like they succeeded until somebody else knows. I'm teaching you life lessons. The average person doesn't feel like they've succeeded until someone else knows. It means that whatever scorecard you strike, whatever milestone you achieve in your life, is not yours. So you're working for a society that doesn't care about it. If you don't put it on, on, on Facebook story or WhatsApp status, we should look at your social media life and let it reflect where you are in your life, not what you are doing every day in your life. There's a difference. It's a difference between social media highlighting where you are in your life, what processes you're going through in your life, rather than it's just showing us what is happening in your life. A loose cannon, you're poor. You're societally depraved. If you think that love and relationship is when we snap photo of us kissing and put on WhatsApp, if the validation you are getting is the validation of every day, I post 19 pictures of both of us. Because that's pressure I am too graced in God to succumb to. If you cannot rest in the fact that what we have is what we have, until the world sees that we went out, we had lunch, we traveled, we put at Dubai on Facebook. And that's just what you said though. Because anybody can just choose location, Las Vegas, and put on Facebook. They didn't supply their flight tickets. Las Vegas, drinking a margarita. But if, if until you do that, you cannot enjoy what you are, the little pleasures that life rewards you with, you're very poor. 
And again, I repeat, some of you are being worried by what I'm saying. You're the one that needs it. Even if you don't accept it. Because there's a voice in your head now telling you there's nothing wrong with what I do. Continue. No problem. Continue. Because Paul is stupid and he has no sense when he says all things are lawful but not all things are expedient. You can do all things. I hear you say, he tells the Corinthian church, but you will not be mastered by all things. Yes, sir. No, Paul doesn't understand what he's saying. There was no social media in Paul's time. Oh, I'm, I'm very poor. I can't. Oh, I want to give. I want to give. I can't give. You're walking outside the remit of grace. Because what, what was the game changer for the Macedonian church? Grace bestowed upon them that they were conscious of. As soon as they were conscious of the fact that there was grace upon them, in their poverty, they were rich. Meanwhile, outside the grace consciousness, in your riches, you can be poor. Grace. Supernatural ability for service in the kingdom. Put it back on the screen. 2 Corinthians 8 and 2. Stay in the TPT. From the depths of their extreme poverty, superabundant joy overflowed into an act of extravagant. Do you know what it means for something extravagant? Limitless, boundless, dumb-busting generosity. People who were in deep poverty giving that radically. Somebody say grace. So if you are struggling with giving, what are you struggling with? Grace consciousness. Because you keep thinking you have to have to give. Me, after all everything I'm seeing you do, I cannot, I cannot come and give you 10,000. Why? No grace consciousness. Because you can have and be poor. But if you're a giver, you're a giver. You give your one grand, cheerfully, joyfully, another grand. And you're proving to heaven that you are a conduit of kingdom resources. Because you see what heaven cannot trust you with. Heaven cannot entrust you with. Did you hear me? What heaven cannot trust you with, heaven will not entrust you with. Because you'll not dispense it well. They will give you the money for all of us. You will keep it to yourself. Because you see, it's not the money for all of us that is given to all of us. Are you hearing me? It's not the money for all of us that is given to all of us. At any point in time, force has what belongs to all of us. That's the way the interconnectivity of the kingdom of God works. Do you understand what I'm saying? At one point in time, the, 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 the answer to your need is here. And to that one is here. That's interconnectivity. So it's either selfishness or pride that can kill us. Pride for when you're a giver and you need and you don't speak up. Selfishness. For when you are just a collector and you never give. Those are the two extremes that, that, that damage your church. Because there's a lot of you in church whose needs have not been met because you're proud. You're always sending airtime. The day you don't have airtime, you can't talk. Instead of understanding and leveraging need in the kingdom, you instead get into shame and sense of inferiority. Oh, today I don't have airtime. Is this helping anybody? So if you're a giver, you're a giver. And as you're giving, you're building capacity. As you're giving, you're building capacity. You learn to give by giving. You don't learn to give by dreaming of giving. By planning to give. You will never give. And you will keep convincing yourself that your intention for not giving is right. 
what you are waiting for has not come. If it comes, they will see how I will give. In their extreme poverty, their extravagant generosity was made manifest. Why? How? Grace. Bestowed upon the churches for service in the kingdom. Verse 3. For I can verify that they spontaneously gave. Somebody say spontaneously. That means not planned. That means not tithe. Because tithe cannot be spontaneous. They spontaneously gave. It goes on to say, not only according to their means, but far beyond what they could afford. They gave what they could not afford. Why? Grace. A bunch of people understood that they were able. A bunch of people entered consciousness that by God, I can. That's all. Or else their testimony should have been that they received such a harvest and so they gave. Then their giving would have been consequential on what they had. But it says of these guys in extreme poverty. Macedonia was actually going through a famine in that time. An extreme famine. All the crops had failed. And later, let's go on, you see it. Not only what they could afford, but far beyond. Far beyond. They actually, look at verse 4. They actually begged us for the privilege of sharing in this ministry of giving to God's people who are in poverty. People in extreme, abject, deep poverty are so rich in their spirit, so full of the consciousness of God's divine ability that they said, please, please, Ignore our poverty and give us the privilege to touch the poor. See, if you have encountered Jesus, you have. If you haven't, you can be in church all you want. You haven't. Nobody needs to wind a man who has seen the Christ. Nobody. 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 Who taught the Samaritan woman evangelism in John 4? She ran into the city. Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She looked at him and said, I perceive you are a prophet. Jesus did not introduce himself as a prophet. Jesus warned the guy who was blind. And said, don't tell anybody. For where? They almost killed Jesus prematurely. Because of that guy. Eventually cornered him and said, what is the matter with you? What are you even saying? He said, I don't know what people are saying but one thing I know, once I was blind. <laughs> once you encounter the Christ, that's it. it. wasn't it Philip that called Nathaniel. He said, come and see him of whom the scripture spoke. And then he said, from where is he? He said, from Nazareth. Then I said, can, can anything good come from Nazareth? But Philip ran off. I have found him of whom the scriptures did speak. That's what Philip said. Because once you have encountered the Christ, well, you, have, you don't need to be wound. You literally die and start to live. Yes, sir. You don't try to patch your two lives together. Are you listening to me? You literally die and start to live. Not trying to put the life of God inside your degenerate life. You die. They're like, please, how can we, how can we live with ourselves knowing that there are poor people out there and we're not giving. Please don't let our own deep poverty stop us. 
as somebody who has encountered the grace of God. As somebody who is conscious of the grace of God. So you're here in church and we have to wind you to give as a New Testament believer. Shame on you. Shame on you. And then, oh yeah, let me get this job. Let me get this job, pal. Let me get this contract. Just, just let me settle. Let me settle. And you look around and there's nothing about the ministry that has your mark on it. You're not conscious of the grace of God. Because the grace of God is ability to do. If you believe it. If you believe it, the grace of God is what? Ability to do. How did God give grace? What did he give grace? He said, please. They begged and begged. Go to verse 5. They exceeded our expectations. Wow. What a, what a report. By first dedicating themselves fully to the Lord and then to us according to God's pleasure or in the remit of God's will. Inside God's will, here we are. Use us as you will in his will. That's followership. We identify his will. We give ourselves to the Lord and we understand that in giving ourselves to the Lord, it is you we are giving ourselves to. That's why I said every believer is a disciple of Jesus. But Jesus does not disciple anybody. Bring one person that can say Jesus discipled me. You and the Jesus that discipled you are liars. We are disciples of Jesus. But Jesus is not disciple. He said you go into the world and make disciples. The thing is, it's not our disciples we are making. It's Jesus' disciples we are making. He is saving them. We are making them his disciples. So every believer is a disciple of Jesus. Jesus doesn't disciple anyone. Men do. Every believer is a disciple of Jesus. <laughs> I love to write like that. Love to write like that. So you get, you get your creative juices flowing. So they said they dedicated themselves to the Lord and then to us for his pleasure. So I've said over and over in the New Testament, you cannot say you're serving God without serving man. The rebels will tell you otherwise. They gave themselves to the Lord and then to us according to God's pleasure. Verse 6. That's why we appeal to Titus since he was the one who got you started and encouraged you to give. Bless Titus. So he could help you complete this generous undertaking on your behalf. Keep going. You do well. This is the Corinthians now. He has finished telling them about the Macedonians. Using this grace. Hmm? He now tells the Corinthian church. You do well. And excel in every respect. You excel in unstoppable faith. You excel in powerful preaching. Hallelujah. You excel in revelation knowledge. In your passionate devotion. You excel in sharing the love we have shown you. So make sure. Now it doesn't say receive grace. It says excel in this grace. New King James. Verse 7. See that you are bound. In this grace also. Which grace? Giving. I've taught you in this house. Giving is a grace. 
It is those who are not grace conscious that see giving as an obligation. No grace conscious believer in the Lord Jesus will say, ah, they have come again. Deeply poor people are begging to bless poor people. Not poor people begging to bless deeply poor people. Okay, these people are poorer than us. We cannot ignore them now. At least we still managed the better than them. No, this is deeply poor. Saying there's somebody who's poor, please take our gifts to them. All the workings of grace. And so Paul challenges the Corinthian church. So you have, because I mean, there was no church as gifted as the Corinthian church. No church as rich in spiritual things as the Corinthian church. And he says, you are excelling in all these things, preaching, teaching, faith, passionate devotion, in knowledge, in speech, in faith, in diligence, and in your love for us. Oh, Pa, we love you. See that you are bound in this grace also. Grace, supernatural ability for service in ministry. See the next verse, verse 8. Go to Tipiti. I'm not saying this as though I were issuing an order, but to stir you to greater love by mentioning the enthusiasm of the Macedonians as a challenge to you. So this is a, this is a spiritual case study. Why are you struggling in it as rich as you are in Corinth? When the Macedonians in their deep poverty gave so I'm, I'm not even a commander. I'm just telling you, look at people like you. Sons like you. Believers like you. Worse off than you. Giving more than you. Let it stir you up to do the same. And I hope that by the grace of God, the grace of God is a welling, welling up in you. That you can abound in grace for service. In church, I've said over and over, we don't do what we do because... We have our own ability. If you came up to sing because you knew you could sing, you were in the flesh. Because a singer that will dispense grace is a singer that knows it's not the singing, but the grace. A speaker that will dispense grace is a speaker that knows it's not about the speaking, but about the grace. There's nothing God is doing through you because you are good at it. Nothing. You might want to write that down in the tablet of your heart. There's nothing God is doing through you because you're good at it. Everything God is doing through you is because he is good at it. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency may be of God and not of us. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. The excellency may be of God and not of us. Right? 2 Corinthians 3, 5, 6, 7, somewhere there, that says that not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. That's the letter of the Spirit for the Spirit, the letter kills us. Spirit gives life. Does that make sense? So there's nothing God does through you that he does through you because you're good at it. Oh, what I've heard is therefore that there's no need to be good at it. Continue. Continue. I didn't say that. On the contrary, what it evokes in you is the desire to better what you have identified God uses. 
gracefully. It's not my voice that is stirring people. It's God's grace using my voice. As I've paid attention to grace, let me pay attention to my voice. Because grace uses my voice. That's a mature believer. Why should I pay attention to my voice? After all, it is grace. That's a, an immature baby believer. As a lazy believer who doesn't want to do anything and take any sense of responsibility. It's like growing, coming of age and saying, why should I walk when my father is, when my father is walking? My father has money. So you grow up not knowing your left from your right, not knowing how to take responsibility, not knowing how to dispense things in the earth because you're comfortable. Until. I'm just saying a board of trustees, when somebody dies, board of trustees are debating and standing against the guy's wife or children taking over the business because they didn't have any track record of running an empire of that sort when the man was alive. So all of a sudden the man dies and then you go, I'm the CEO. How do you CEO? You never bothered to learn. Do you get that? Go into verse 9 and you see, you see what he says now. 2 Corinthians 8, and that's our main text. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you have experienced the extravagant grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That, that's, no, that grace is that, although he was infinitely rich, he impoverished himself for our sakes, so that by his poverty, we could become rich beyond measure. Luke King James says, but you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know the grace. What are we talking about here? Giving. And I said a long time ago in one of the series, what was being talked about here contextually was material giving. And I talked about the, the maliciousness of divorcing this verse from a, to a degree from material giving. Because you couldn't have been speaking about material giving and then it gets here and it diverts to something that has nothing at all to do with material giving. One thing is true. Another thing is also true. Does that make sense? Because if you, if you take this as though Jesus was rich spiritually, he became poor spiritually, and we can be rich spiritually, it is true, but it's not the entire truth. Because contextually, this is, has been talking about material giving, not spiritual giving. Do you, do you, get, do you get the drift? Contextually, what we are dealing with since the chapter began is material giving, not spiritual giving. So the subject matter cannot just suddenly change to spiritual giving alone and then exit from verse 9 at spiritual giving and return to material giving in verse 10. That's malicious. That's not sound, honest interpretation of scripture. So yes, he's rich in all glory and, and, and liberality spiritually. He is. But materially, he also is. And materially, he became poor. I mean, he chose to be born in a manger. I mean, he could have been born anywhere else. I mean, he could have been born in a palace grander than Herod's. By our reckoning, he should have. If he had come and you had seen, imagine those shepherds, those shepherds out by the fields with their, with their sheep. Imagine them just seeing a palace come down from the sky. Like transformers. Bah! Just drop. On the ground, and then it has metal foundation, dig straight in to the earth, right down to the core where there's lava, and it starts to pump lava and powers the palace. Don't try my imagination. Just you know, all the lights just come on. 
The next thing you hear, unto us a child is born. <laughs> Angels don't need to appear to the shepherds. They will line up at the gate of the palace. <laughs> no. He was born in a feeding trough. Foxes have holes, birds have nests. The son of man has no place to lay his head. So yes, it's true. And yet, that is true. I was listening to a New Testament preacher, one of the most renowned preachers in the country. I was driving yesterday, and I just, as I turned the car on, the radio came up and was speaking. I actually recorded it. And he's, they had asked me a question, I think, about Genesis. And he was saying how Moses was dead. Moses was a dead man. Moses was dead in himself. And God doesn't deal with dead people. So God could not speak to Moses in a language he would understand. So God began to mean hyperboles and similes and human languages like trees and leaves and you know, Eden and stuff like that. And I was laughing. So at what point does allegory and hyperbole become history? We have to be careful what we dabble into. Yes. You understand this? It's a fine balance. At what point does it go from just figurative to literal? Because if you start to question that narrative, we question the entire creation of man himself. And, I, and was man really created literally? Or was he created figuratively? And then as soon as he was literally created, we switched to figurative? Or even the creation of man was figurative? Then we might as well have come from monkeys. I have to be careful what we dabble into. So when we ask certain questions, they dismiss the questions and make you look like you're proud. You don't want to know. For this purpose, the wrath of God is coming upon sons of disobedience. Oh, sorry. He has no wrath. Yes, yes. His wrath is fully satisfied. Are you confusing yourself? He had no wrath. But the wrath is satisfied. Is that he has or he had? Are you saying really? <laughs> Verse 10. Give me the TPT. So here are my thoughts concerning this matter. And it's in your best interest. Since you made such a good start last year, both in the, see that clearly, both in the grace of giving and in your longing, two different things. The grace of giving and your longing to give. So you can have both or have none or have one without the other. Because you see, the grace to give is not the desire to give. In other words, it's not the desire to give that makes you realize you have grace to give. Grace to give can exist in you without desire. In other words, you don't have to feel like giving to give. Cheerfulness. Oh my God, I'm trying to, and the more I'm trying to go on, the more I'm being sucked into this, this thing. Cheerfulness is not emotional. Cheerfulness is convictional. When you say God loves a cheerful giver, it goes on to that in chapter 9. God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerfulness is not, oh, look, I, I, I'm giving a sweet to me. Oh, I'm so cheerful. No, that's not cheerfulness. Cheerfulness is a conviction of God's will happening through you. It's not, oh, look, I'm enjoying giving. It will never happen. Be quiet now. Oh, I just gave a 100,000. I feel so great. Keep, keep growing. The one that will chip you is coming. No, that's not cheerfulness, sir. 
I said this word convictional. It is you knowing, wow, God is using me to bring about his will by his grace. That's chair. Contextually. That's English. According to scripture, not English. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a person who is convinced in his heart and is therefore excited that God is manifesting his will through him or her. That's a cheerful man. Do you get it? So you're happy. <laughs> so you can have the grace and not necessarily feel like there's a desire. You can have the desire and ignore the grace. And therefore you'll never give. Because desire to give will not make you give. Each time you give because... Oh my God. It's making it sound like I'm teaching about giving. But I'm highlighting grace for, for service. Because I, I taught you in CCB or so. CCB, right? About gives and gives again. Spends and expense for the kingdom. And I explained to you how grace is both, giving is both a grace and giving is a ministry. For some of us, it changed our lives. We were conscious of it. But the rest of us made no difference. The grace to give and the longing to give. Keep going, please. So, you should finish what you started. You are so eager in your intentions to give. So go do it. Go do it. Tell a neighbor, go do it. You're so eager. Go do it. Finish this act of worship according to your ability to give. What's the ability? Grace. Grace. See verse 12. For if intention and desire are there, the size of the gift doesn't matter. Your gift is fully acceptable to God according to what you have. Not what you don't have. So that, oh, I want to give, I want to give. I can't, I can't give 100 naira. You're both deluded and proud. Because if you desire to give, 100 naira won't stop you. 20, you will just not be found not giving. If truly you have a grace-influenced desire to give, you will never be found not giving. You will give all the time with such conviction and such joy, such love in your heart. Because it's not how large your gift is. Does that make, does that make sense? Go on. 13 and the last verse I need in this text. Actually, we'll go, I'll probably go on to verse 15. I'm not saying this in order to ease someone else's load by overloading you. But as a matter of fair balance. Go on. Your surplus could meet their need. And their abundance may one day meet your need. So when I tell you that God doesn't give all our needs to all of us, I will not stand here and throw sentences at you. I respect the integrity of God's word too much to come and project my personal opinion. I don't even have one. I don't even have one. At what point in time your need is, the answer to your need is with me. At another point in time, the answer to my need is with you. So if one of us becomes selfish, we break the chain of supply. And then the church starts to struggle. We break the chain of supply. Nobody's designed to just be a receiver. A witch. They're not in church. And you know how, notice how witch sounds like leech? Only spelled differently. <laughs> Pronounced seemingly. Nobody's designed to just be a receiver. I want to take east. Hmm? No, you have gone past being a taker. You are a takeist. 
a receivist, collectist. <laughs> oh, I am needy, I am needy. Change church. Because we all partake in the grace of giving. Can we all say that? We all partake in the grace of giving. Say it again. Why? Put verse 14 back on the screen. This equal sharing of abundance will mean a fair balance. That's what I've told you in this church. Mark people that never have. Every time they come to your house, they come to take what you have. Wear what you have. Eat what you have. Tell them, see sir, I'm not available for you. And they will get upset. Go and look for somebody else that's stupid enough to tell them, oh, I used to go to Virtue's house. And now Virtue says I should not come anymore. I don't even know what I did to Virtue. Because those people will never tell the full picture. Never. Not to save their life. They will never say, I took something I shouldn't have taken. And I was reprimanded for it. And so I dropped it. Or they asked me to not come back again. They will never say that. So I don't know. I don't know. She just, her attitude towards me just changed. And just like that, she said, I should not be coming again. After all Pav is teaching us. Because they are very good in emotional blackmail. Very good. Very good in emotional blackmail. After all we are hearing, we are sitting down under this powerful word. And my own sister, my own. If you was half sister, you would not have paid me like that. But my own sister in this house said I should stop coming. My own brother said I'm not welcome in this house anymore. Then if you met a stupid person, they'll say, ah, oh, me too now. I thought I was the only one in this church that was going through this. They formed a band. This person will not bring, and they will also not say their own. Just say, oh, me too. Ah, my child has said it is old. Even Pav did it to me. Even Pav. I don't know what, I don't know what I did. Pav just cut me off. Wait for my knife. No, I cut you off, and I didn't know. Wait until I know and decide to yank you off. No, but you mark them and you excuse them from your life. That's, that's a dead weight. It's a dead weight. Nobody's designed to just be taken. The church will fall and cave in on its own imbalance. Are you receiving instruction? Yes, sir. Again, if your heart and mind are fighting it, that's why you need renewal of the mind. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. If what I'm saying now is disturbing you, you are the one that needs it. Yes, sir. I'm not going to discolor the truth so that it doesn't offend you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's what it is. Why is it offending you if it's growing you? Why is it? Why is it? If it's touching you there, that's where that place is touching you. Just open it to the word. Let the light of the word burn it. Receive healing. Don't hide it. Expose that place to the light of God's word. Let God's word burn it up. You'll be processed and better. You'll be refined and stronger. You need it. You can't walk around thinking that everybody in the world is designed to meet your need. And there's no time in the world where you are meeting somebody else's need. In church, a thief. Because the grace of God is available to all of us. All of us. So if somebody's not giving, they're not leveraging grace. That's why I said sometimes they want to now take somebody else's inheritance. That's what I said on Friday. Do you, you understand it now? You want to just hang on somebody else who is doing okay. They, can, they should do okay for two. Do you understand? You don't need to do okay. Because your brother in the Lord is doing okay, so you should do for two. Or three, or ten. 
So all you need to do is just hook up to somebody who's doing okay. And you start to weigh them down. And then you start to be bitter when they're not giving you. It's, it's weird. It's weird in a very, very amusing way. The person that you're always leeching onto, you now ask him, he doesn't have you. Uh-uh. Because in your mind, you're used to him always having for us. The day he or she doesn't have for us, you're like, uh-uh. I'm suspecting you. Who, who has taken my place? Abi, are you, are you decoding me now? Somebody is taking my place. You now start to suspect the other person you are seeing around your provider. Say, hey, since Kingsley started hanging around this person, my portion has been reducing. You now carry your presumption and go and look for another unsuspecting, immature believer and say, the problem I have with Adam is Kingsley. Since Kingsley showed up, my life has not remained the same. And then Adam will now remember that once upon a time, even though he was innocently, he was passing, Kingsley matched him. And I say, yes, oh, that Kingsley, that man that matched me that day, he didn't say sorry. They will now link the matching with this evil report and create a persona about Kingsley that the only person that does not know is Kingsley. That's what destroys church. So I keep telling you guys, don't think I don't know what you're doing. Don't think I don't know what you're saying. Think I'm so deluded, I'm just so buried in my Bible, I don't see what is happening. It's the reason why it's made as your pastor. That we are teaching you to grow in grace doesn't mean we are stupid enough to not know what is going on. My answer to any mess in church is to teach it right, not to amplify it. Not that I don't know it. But for me, a vice, a weakness in church is symbolic that we haven't taught enough. So we'll teach it again and again and again and again until you get it. Because if you are misbehaving, you haven't gotten it. Simple. Can't get it and miss it. If you are missing it, you haven't gotten it. So why should I rush, on, rush up and teach deeper things when even the basics you are struggling with? I'll stay there until you are grounded in it long enough to graduate you to the next class. We're students of the word for life. Why are we rushing to? Why are we rushing to? But then he comes, up, comes back and finds we have not taught. As we see him, we shall receive light. So how am I rushing? I take my time. 14. Fair balance. TPT. Going to 15. As it is written, the one who gathered much, look at this carefully, the one who gathered much didn't have too much. Oh Lord, help these people to see this. And the one who gathered little didn't have too little. That's why I said things as audacious as if we're in this church of 200 people and there's one person who is a multi-millionaire alone. He's the poorest person in this church. There's one multi-millionaire. You're the poorest person in church. I have no regard for you. Because he who gathered much didn't have too much. Scripture. He who gathered little didn't have too little. Equal distribution of resources. Kingdom resources. We're too individualistic and selfish in church. And the church has become so myopic that the church celebrates mediocrity. You carry one person. Prop the person up. Seven years in a row, we are preparing for convention. One person says, don't worry, I will pay. The whole church is poor. I grew up in church. I'm a PK. I know what I'm saying. I know what I'm, some of you know what I'm talking about. Oh, don't worry, pastor. Don't, don't stress the church. Don't stress. I'll pay. Ah, brother, so-and-so has taken the budget of this year's convention, the whole church is poor and will never break that barrier of poverty. You better fight your way into giving. 
for that convention. You better tell him, see, brother, see, see, I know you have all the money in the world. Eh? But we will also give. And brother Melonia should get three, ten, twelve people and empower them in the tribe he says he belongs to. Empower them. Small micro businesses. Get them going. So that by the next two or three years, what would you put up with you? You're celebrating financial mediocrity. You're not making the person elder, minister, pastor. So he goes stay. So when he drafts the budget, he will know that it's his obligation to meet the budget he drafted. You said, see her now. We have called you to church leadership. Then you know, see, the pastor's car, he bought it. The ACs in the church, she bought it. Do you understand? Everything. One person, one person. The church is poor. The pastor of the guy is the poorest person. Because he that gathered much didn't have too much. He that gathered little didn't have too little. Because we are church body. Body. There's grace and everybody participates in the grace. The 20K person gives at the 20K level. The 20 mil person gives at the 20 mil level. And the 20K person doesn't feel little because all they have is 20K that they're grappling with. Because every now and then the 20 mil person comes through. Not by obligation, not by the 20k person feeling like, sir, it's because of me you are rich. That's not what we're saying. Do you understand what I'm saying? But that by virtue of the partaking of grace, it just flows. There's equitable distribution of wealth. Because if a church will be wealthy, it's some people in the church that will be wealthy for the church. Are you hearing me? There's somebody in this church whose business will not take off until somebody in this church makes money and gives them. It's not everybody in this church that can access capital at the same level. So you see, we have not really started being church. Are you here now? No, we have not started being church. It's not everybody that will be rich by direct source. Some of us in church will be rich by implication. Some of us in this church will be rich because some people in this church became rich. That's the way God structured it. Oh, I declare, by this time next year, 100 millionaires. Amen. Next year, nothing happened. There were three last year, there were three this year, there will be three next year. It's the same guys who are millionaires that are just becoming more millionaires. He will not come by giving to church. They don't like me now, you see. He will not come by giving. No matter how much you sow into a prophecy, you will never make money from sowing into a word. You will never prosper by sowing into a word from your man of God. You make money by making money. Do you understand? Make money by making money. Money is not spiritual. Am I helping anybody today? Money is not spiritual. You want to make money, go out there and happen to money. Money will answer to you when you happen to it. Someday God will give me release to do master classes. To, to allow me to take some of the wisdom he has shown me. Sell it to some people that need it. Until then, we keep teaching the gospel. We'll always teach the gospel. But someday I will allow, I will receive grace. Pay attention to my consulting. Until you happen to it. What do I mean happen? Until you identify a problem or create a problem for which only you are the solution. It is you, your creativity. Your problem solving, your solution providing, your idealistic nature that goes to happen to the money that is going to pay that value to you that will then make money gravitate to you. Only financial imbeciles chase money. 
Financial intellectuals happen to money. It's poor people that chase money. You don't hear a rich man waking up in the morning and say, let me make more money. Let me make money. He increases his value level. You are here shouting the name of Jesus seven times. You are here fasting for financial breakthrough for 40 days. You're here jumping from one prophet to the other, one crusade to the other, sowing into financial breakthrough if I be a man of God. People are happening to money. You are hustling for money. That was for free. So if you're going to be a wealthy church, the wealthy in the church empower the rest. He who gathered much didn't gather too much. He who gathered little doesn't have too little. Amen. Is this helping you? Romans 1.5. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. Paul, just shortly after greeting the churches, says in the New King James, thank you. Through him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, verse 4 says that, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith. So we have received grace for obedience to the faith. We have received apostleship for obedience to the faith. We receive grace. We have received apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. What empowers his apostleship? Grace. What empowers his obedience to the faith? Grace. Through him we have received. So you see, grace is God's supernatural ability to do service in church. Do you get that? We also have the ability to edify the saints by grace. Romans 12 and 6. Romans 12 and 6. You can't preach the gospel and lack in any area of your life. You can't receive the gospel and lack in any area of your life. If Christ is unto us the wisdom of God, there's no limit to it. Or you can prosper by it. The wisdom of Christ Jesus. The gospel brings you into it. The gospel brings you into it. It's in the package. 12 and 6 of Romans. Having then gifts, deferring, how do we have those gifts? According to, we have differing gifts for the edification of the saints according to the grace that's given to us. Let us use them. Let us use this gift, deferring to us according, deferring according to the grace given to us. So by grace we prophesy. Let us prophesy in, prophet, in, in prophecy. Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Faith there is what? Saving faith, living faith, faith as a lifestyle, understanding of sound doctrine. It has to be. And that's how you judge prophecy in the New Testament. You judge it by its consistency to the revelation of Christ Jesus. It's not all, I believe I can prophesy. That's not prophecy. You, you can come and you can hear voices. It's not consistent with the New Testament. When you finish, we will tell you that you are wrong. Because you didn't prophesy from faith. You prophesied from fever. High or low. Green or yellow. Oh, I love these things, man. High fever, low fever, you know what I mean? Green fever or... You prophesy according to faith. According to understanding of sound doctrine. I read an article this morning on Facebook and I was laughing. You know when I say we dabble into some theological things... And everybody's saying God said. It's so funny. So this guy, again, one of them satirical New Testament writers, he wrote and said, 
somebody said, oh man. Basically, it was along the lines of stuff that, that raged in the last two years um, about the whole tithe conundrum. Yeah? You know how one man of God said that if you don't tithe, you will not make heaven. No, nobody, if you, don't, if you don't tithe, God said you will not make heaven. Full stop. Those were his exact words. And then in the same period when tithe was raging, another one now got up and said that um, if you don't tithe, you will not get reward in heaven. Right? You will have no reward in heaven. And then this guy then said, one man of God who is respected says, if you don't tithe, you will not make heaven. Another man of God who is respected said, if you don't tithe, you will not have reward in heaven. So according to the God of this man of God, you will not enter heaven if you don't tithe. But according to the God of this other man of God, who is also a man of God in his own right, you can enter heaven without reward. So is it God speaking now? Is it the man of God speaking now? Or is it the man as God speaking now? It has to be man as God. The man who has become or assumed the place of God to his subject that can determine, first of all, who makes heaven. The indices by which they make heaven. And then this other man of God can determine, okay, well, from my own conviction, you can enter heaven but no reward for you. Because heaven will check your tithe record and tell you whether you're getting five-bedroom mansion or two-bedroom flat. Or probably be in Jonah's BQ. Again, I'm sorry for people who are expecting to see architectural buildings in heaven. It's the stupidest thing ever when you talk about eschatology. Deviation alert. Stupidest thing ever. Because if we are going to be with him, we are going to be as he is. We don't know what that's going to look like, but we know that we shall be as he is. And he's the light of the city. The sun will not need to be given light because he is the light of the city. By day and by night, there shall be no night there. No sea there. We shall all be around the throne as sons of God. Why do you need a house in heaven? At what point will you enter the house? What are you going to do inside the house? When there's no night in that place, you will be worshipping in shift. When you're not on shift, you now enter your mansion and sleep. When there'll be no night there. Enter your mansion, close the door, lock the gate. I am in heaven, the throne of God for eternity. I'm in my mansion sleeping. That's why people look at your Christianity as a joke. Such a joke, it makes absolutely no sense of sense. You contradict yourself. You say one thing here. You say another thing. The James say, can sweet and bitter water proceed from the same mouth? Mansion. To do what? To receive visitors. It's, it's very, very, very senseless. You check your tight record and we're like, yeah, nah. If your building is not complete. It's an uncompleted building. See your tight record. See how much tight you missed. Yes, no. That's what your tight is doing. Your tight is building for you treasures in heaven. Yes. He's laying for you treasures in heaven. So by the time we have these divergent views on something, then it's clearly not God speaking. Because he won't confuse himself. Or is that? Is it that this or is that? Can't be this or that. 
depending on which translation of God you subscribe to. So when you give prophecy, it's consistent with God's word, or it's not. Does that make sense? According to your faith. You just come that's why not, not, not just anybody can prophesy. That's why being gifted with a spiritual gift is not enough. God doesn't wait for you to grow to give you a spiritual gift. The gift is in you the moment you receive the Holy Spirit. They are gifts of the Spirit. Now, so you can apply gift wrongly because you don't understand the faith of God behind the gift. You're not taught well. You can see something by word of knowledge about somebody and use it and destroy a family. With a gift God gave you, you destroy a family, wreck a home, scatter a marriage, destroy a church because you heard, you saw, you dreamt, you perceived. You saw a vision, whether the vision was open or closed. Don't ask me the difference. I was in an open vision. Which one is a closed one? And you can, by the gift of God, destroy the church of God. Did you hear me? By the gift of God. Not by what Satan gave you. Gift of God. It's like carrying a Uzi. There's a fully automatic gun called a Uzi. And give it to a three-year-old boy. With a safety pin off. Or carry an RPG loaded. And give to Zion or Zoe in front of a gas depot. That is what a spiritual gift is to an untrained believer. The devastation you will cause can only be imagined. Because you don't have any doctrine undergirding your gift. What was it? Zeal without knowledge. Absence of sound doctrine. But you cannot say that the person did not love God. Because it's, it's is contingent on sound doctrine. And that's why some people get offended when we pull them up on the things that are written and are in circulation now because you can't see beyond your nose. If you're sat on that wrong doctrine, you're convinced that what you're doing is right. So you prophesy and prophesy according to your faith. We put it back up, Romans 12, verse 6. Let us prophesy in proportion to our faith, seven, or ministry, let us use it in our ministry. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see that? According to the grace given to each of us. Ephesians 4 and 29. Ephesians 4 and 29. Are you receiving instruction today? Ephesians 4 29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. No corrupt word. Tell your neighbor no corrupt word. From your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? That it may impart grace for edification. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only what is necessary, what is for necessary edification, that it may impart typity. Never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. But instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help. So there's grace released in what you say. There should be grace released in what you say. The message. Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps. Each word a gift. 
So that's why I've said before, and some of you looked at me and thought I was being rude when I said, if he's not graceful, shut up. You have nothing to say if you're not edifying somebody. So the next time your body's scratching you to talk, when you're with your brother or sister, may grace consciousness fall on you. So that you can ask yourself by the Spirit of God, is this edifying? If this conversation were to be played back, is it edifying to this brother, sister, and to the church? That's when you are walking in the light of your salvation. You are conscious of what you're saying. And if you're not, you pull it. Pull a plug on it. This, this is how you know you're honest about your growth. When you tell your brother, I'm sorry I, I said that. I shouldn't have said that. It wasn't edifying. And your brother can say, oh, no, 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 it's okay. It's fine. They hate you. They hate you. Any brother that or sister that downplays your godly repentance is your enemy. Did you hear what I said? Any brother or sister, you say, you know, I shouldn't have said that. I truly do apologize. I'd like to take that back, but I know I can't. But I'm sorry that wasn't edifying. It didn't paint the church in good light. It didn't paint church leadership in good light. And the person says, no, 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 it's okay. These things happen. That person is your enemy. No, I, I didn't mind. I, I understood. Anybody that sells you empathy that jeopardizes the church is a witch. I repeat, anybody that sells you empathy that jeopardizes the church. In other words, you are speaking against church and the person says, no, I understand. You can talk to me. I'm not going to judge you, I understand. That person is an enemy of the church. Nobody can sit with you, fellow son of God, and empathize with your gossip. Empathize with your bitterness. Empathize with your resentment and foul language. And you say, no, I, I understand. I, I understand you need to let it out. And you are the Holy Spirit. Because the only person that should be letting that thing out to is the person who can wash it. Not you. But the moment you champion yourself as the person to which people can come and cry, you have become a god. Is this, is this instructing anybody? So you go to them and say, no, I, I shouldn't have said that. I apologize. That wasn't edifying. We had a very, very, we, had a, we let our guard down. We said some things. And I hope that you also see what I'm saying. Because it takes two to particip participate in such ungodliness. And they say, no, 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 it's okay. I totally, I totally understand these things happen, you know. They're human. That's how you know that you don't have a brother or sister in that person. It's not edifying. Zip it. Zip it. Don't find, your, find yourself having conversations that cannot be quoted. Hope somebody's receiving instructions. Conversations that cannot be quoted. Conversations that cannot be referenced. See, this is between me and you as we live here. All it takes is for your phone screen to crash and a repairer changes the screen and gets out your data. It's, just, it's, not, it's not so difficult. It's not so hard. A phone repairer can put a spyware on your phone and you will know. Hide the thumbnail of the app and it clones your phone. When a tech age, if your stuff went out, are you okay? If your stuff was quoted, are you okay? Are you good? It's one thing for you to have a personal weakness or vice. Another thing for you to have sold somebody else in your vice. It's one thing for you to be struggling with something. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's another thing for you to have jeopardized other people. Your speech be seasoned with salt. Edifying the hearer. Otherwise, don't do it. Why? If you're not transmitting grace, you're not operating from grace. If you're not transmitting grace, you're not operating from grace. If you're not operating from grace, you should not be in operation 
It should be inoperative. Do you understand? Six machines, three are working. Three are inoperative. Because there's nothing that they, what they require to be operative is absent. Does that make sense? And therefore, they're inoperative. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're operating from grace, all you will transmit is grace. Is it helpful? Grace for sustenance, ability, and daily living. Grace for sustenance, sustenance, ability, and daily living. Luke 2 and 40. Luke 2 40. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom. See that line? And the grace of God was upon him. The child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Whose narrative is this, by the way? Jesus. Grace was upon Jesus. Jesus grew only by grace. Wait, are you sure this is Jesus? Grace. Needed grace. The grace of God that brings salvation. I've been shouting it for how many days? Titus 2.11 has appeared to all men. The grace of God. John 1.12 John 1.12 and 14 and 16 says that uh, the, the, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the Holy of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we established that Jesus is the grace of God because Christ Jesus is the ability of God and grace is the ability of God which makes Jesus the grace of God. Jesus, who? The grace of God. Growing by how? Grace. Needed grace. Grace in the human form. Just like the word lived by the word. It was the word that became flesh and dwelt among us and came and what was he saying? It is written. The word did nothing outside what was written. You now come out and tell me, now we are born again. We don't need the Bible. You have the Holy Spirit. God used the scripture. God lived by the scriptures he wrote. I mean, Jesus could have come and totally ignored the scriptures because after all, he's the word. Come on, man. I I come in the volume of the books as it's written concerning me. I come to do your will, O God. Took the scroll of Isaiah and turned to the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Look for, right? For he has anointed me. And he finishes and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And he sat down. Over and over you see Jesus living by the word. Satan came to tempt him. Why didn't Jesus say, get out from here my friend. Do you know who you're talking to? Each occasion Jesus replied and said, it is written. The logos referring to the graphe. The word lived by the word. You get it? The grace of God in human form lived by grace was sustained by grace. The grace of God was upon him. How did he grow and do his ministry to the point of death? The grace of God. Grace of God was upon him. Jesus. You need it to. 
This is what Paul then writes to all the churches at the end of almost all his letters. At the beginning of some of them, most of them. The grace of God with you. The grace of God with you. Grace to you and peace. Grace. Constantly highlighting that we live by grace. Grace enables us to live our lives in the earth. Do you understand that? Grace for supernatural manifestations. Grace for supernatural manifestations. I like it. Acts 4.33. Acts 4.33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace is upon us all. I mean, like I said, there is a shift for the discerning. There's some of you in this building, some of you listening to me, watching me online, including pastors, that is in this series, your life of faith began. You thought it was UTG until CCB. You thought it was CCB until Imitate. You thought it was, and it's not your realize. You are realizing that the seven things you thought you knew, that is now you are knowing. And can say, I know. For such a person, there's a shift. You will go and look for how to be normal and you can't find it. Because once you understand the reality of the epistles. And understand that the reality of the epistles is real in your life now. You become unstoppable. You become unstoppable. Great grace, if it was upon them, it is upon us. So great grace is upon us. Does that trigger in you great power? Great power. Great grace is upon us. Acts 6 and 8. Acts 6, 8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. We saw that these guys had power. Why? Great grace was upon them. Stephen, with such power, full of faith, did wonders and signs among the people. How do we give expression to spiritual gifts? By the grace of God. By the grace of God. It's the grace of God that enables you to actually evoke and practice or put to practice the faith of God. You can look at somebody and know that God wants them healed. That's one. God can have them healed. That's two. God can use me because in me is the ability of God to have them healed. That's where it happens. The faith of God, God wants them healed. The grace of God, God can have them healed. Manifestation, God will use me now to get you healed. (laughs) That's when you're walking in grace. Somebody else will come and have the faith of God, know what the Bible says, know that God can do it and will not be able to do it because they're not grace conscious. Because you have faith. You have understanding. You're not conscious that is the ability of God. So many are going like, God, will they, will they respond? Would I, will I not do? That's you not being grace conscious. 
Because how, what, what, or you think you will get to the point in your faith where you don't go, yeah, I can feel the power surging. You know, I can feel it surging. I know now that if I touch you, I've just come out from the secret place. Come out. Realms. That's works. Or familiar spirits. See, there's how you look for something more spiritual than you already are. That's a different spirit to answer you. The spirit man you are is not enough. You open yourself up as Paul calls them, to seducing spirits. So at, at, at best, works. At worst, seducing spirits. Demons teach doctrine. That's why we have the doctrine of demons. I think they're dumb. So you, 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 just, you, you get there, you start to cry over the person you went to pray for. You are afraid, you are freaking out. You're not sure. No, you're not grace conscious. Because grace consciousness knows that the excellency is not of me. It's of, God. it's of God. I just need to come and release what they sent me with. <laughs> That's all. That's grace consciousness. Release what they sent me with. Every manifestation of the spirit needs to come through a body. I am here. Use me. Do you understand? If Jesus, is Jesus healing the sick today? Yes, he is. But where is he? So, if Jesus will go to heal the sick, who will go? So, why are you afraid? Because it's not you going, somebody is in your body. So, you are the body of Christ. You just pray. Release grace. If you have an instruction to get them to get up and do something they couldn't do, give the instruction. If you don't hear it, leave and go. They are healed. You release grace. Because you have it. It rests upon you. At the end of this teaching, nobody is receiving grace. <laughs> That's why I'm very careful to not do what people do. I, I, Every teaching must end with a prayer. Says who? Every teaching must end it. I'm going to pray. Those of you that read, desire the grace of God. To operate in dimensions. Sir, all of us have it. All of us. Every believer in Christ Jesus. In whom the spirit of God has chosen to tabernacle has the completion of the ability of God to do the supernatural. Yeah. Every believer. That's what defines our priesthood. That's what defines our priesthood. A priest is one who is called. Calling to be a pastor. Who told you? There's not a single place in scripture where a pastor is referred to as a calling. Not a single place. Where bishop is referred to as a calling. Ephesians 4.1. Paul is writing to the churches in Ephesus. And he says, I beseech you, brethren, to walk worthy of your calling. Ephesians 4.1. Beseech you, who is you? 
Not Timothy. Not Titus. The church. Walk worthy of your calling, which, which you were called. How does the TPT put this verse? Oh, nice. That was NT. Put it back. I like that last line. Beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been. Who has been called by God? The church. I'm not going out to preach because I have not been called. You were called, sir. You took out the sin. You, you took out the sin. I was not called. Check my call log. I was not called. No miss call. All of us have been called. First Peter 2 9. Oh, hallelujah. We've all been called. All of us. 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 But you are a chosen generation. Tell the neighbor you. Our chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. So you only receive one calling darkness into light. Romans 8, 29. Romans 8, 29. Whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he may be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, this he also called. Calling is not the exclusive preserve of a few. If it is, then predestination is. Conforming is. Justification is. Glorification is. Whom he predestined, he called. Whom he called, he justified. He called you and then he justified you. So you can fit your calling. So we are all the called of God. Therefore, we are all the graced of God. We are all the graced of God. So, See, if there's anything I doubt in my life, it's not grace. I'm too aware of the workings of God's grace in my life to freak out. Too aware. Too aware to look to think of how my body is feeling to do ministry. No, I will leave. My body will meet me in church. Because <laughs> I'm not my body, you see. But by the time I get up to go, the body understands. If he wants to stay spiritless, he can stay at home. No, it's not my body taking me where it feels like going. It is me taking my body where I need to be. Whether my body likes it or yes. Once I get up, my body will follow. There are many times I woke up, my body did not. The problem with you is you have, you have concluded that your body is who you are. That's the problem. I've concluded your body is who you are. So once you wake up and you feel like, ah, like, oh, I cannot go today. You have just concluded you are your flesh. Yes. Then you quickly start to type the excuse message. You have just concluded that you are the sum total of your existence is your body. But by the time you realize your body was formed, then you were injected into your body. You will never let your body hold you back another day of your life. Because the body was formed and it laid there lifeless. 
your body. Go and read Genesis 1 and 2. Formed you from the dust of the ground. Finished creating you when it was lifeless. That means it's not you. You had to enter your body for your body to gain life. God breathed into man the breath of life and then man became a living soul. So you wake up, there's ministry to do. We're going. The body will wake up along the way. And you go along. Are you getting this? We are all graced. Can we say that together? We are all graced. <laughs> With great grace. Oh. Great. Not anyhow. <laughs> great grace. The grace that rested upon Jesus rests within you. Man. Within you. Impossible is nothing. Let's end here. Grace for navigating <laughs> difficult times. Because grace is God's ability for you to bear difficulty. Grace is not always God's escape out of difficulty. You will never become as fully matured and processed as you ought to be if God deviated or diverted every difficulty from you. So as part of your maturity syllabus, there are a few courses on difficulty. And ahead of those courses is grace. Again, this is why a lot of Christians have unmet expectations. Because they come into church as solution center. Where all your problems cease. If you enter a right teaching church, there are some problems in your life that will begin. That's how you know you have entered a realm of light and truth that now must be tested. I came in here, all my problems stopped. You joined the cult. I don't care if the leader wears a suit or has a big signboard outside. You entered a place, all your problems in life came to a halt. You joined the cult. Because again, there is no such record. In the scriptures. Why was Macedonia poor? Why was there a famine in the believers in Jerusalem? Why were the Thessalonians being persecuted for their faith? Salvation, sonship, is not the end of difficulty. Jesus told them, he said, in this life, <laughs> you will have many troubles, but be of good cheer. Again, contextually, has he helped you now? Cheer. doesn't say, oh rejoice, be happy, I have overcome the world. No. Be of good cheer. Rest in this conviction. Not throw a party. Jesus has overcome the world. That's not what it means to be cheerful. (laughs) Be of good cheer. Paul is in trouble because he saw too much. Of God, not of another person. And he's been buffered on every side. And in verse 9, he writes. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. Pick it up for me from verse 7. Yes, okay. Unless I should be exalted above measure. Give me the TPT. The extraordinary level of the revelations I have received. is no reason for anyone to exalt me. 
For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me, the adversary's messenger sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. If God is invested in you, your humility is his responsibility. God will, see, it is at the peripheral level that you'll be humble. When God starts using you, he will humble you. He, himself. <laughs> he will humble you. For common good. He will break you. He will. You don't have to pray for him to do it. He will break you only if God is invested in you. Your humility is his responsibility. You're not the one asking, he will visit you. Because why do we say that? God showed revelations of the third kind to Paul. And God did not leave it to chance for Paul to retain or get or generate humility. God said, I know this Paul. With what you have seen now, you will cause chaos and trouble. So now your humility is my responsibility. A lot of times, listen to me. That's why it is is difficult for a proud person to accept they are proud. Because most times they don't know. Now the danger about proud people is this. A proud person is so proud that they think if they are proud, they should know. That's the height of pride. When a person who is proud tells you, no, if I'm not proud. If I'm proud, I will know. If I'm proud, I will know. If I'm selfish, I will know. If I'm struggling with submission, I will, I, will, I, will, I will know. You just leave the church, leave the world, stay on your own. You don't need God, you don't need anybody. You're so deep. A proud person. No. No. So how, how, how else would someone like Paul who was already overseer of all the churches, who was laying down doctrine, if God allowed him to be successfully proud, who would tell him? Paul is correcting Peter. Paul is taking on James. Paul is taking on the elders of Jerusalem. Paul now becomes proud. And God is telling Paul, deal with your pride. God said, no, 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 this is this one. It's on me. I'll fix this. And so you start off on a journey pruning you of stuff that you don't even know you have how much more that you need to lose. Who is this helping? Stuff that you don't even know you have. Habits that you don't even know. It's like most people with body odor don't know that they have body odor. And then somebody tells you, you get offended. We didn't manufacture the odor at the mention of your name. You have lived with it all your life. It, it smells like vegetation to you. It smells, you know, it smells like the atmosphere. It smells cosmopolitan in nature. The cosmos of the earth. It's, it's, it takes somebody, see, what you don't have is outside you. That's why you don't have it. So to have what you do not have, it must come from outside you. You are therefore very unwise to reject something simply because it's coming from outside you. And then we tell you, you get offended. How can you tell me you have, it's because you have some. If it were not so, I would have told you. 
So tell a proud person you are proud. Say no now. I, I, I checked. I'm okay. <laughs> if I'm proud, I, I know there's an alarm on my phone that comes up. So God sets Paul on his journey. To keep Paul, not Paul trying to not be arrogant. God was responsible for keeping Paul away from arrogance. That's it. Go back to verse 7. For this is why a thorn of my flesh was given to me, and the adversary's messenger sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. Stay here, give me the message. Verse 7 in the message. Because of the extravagance of those revelations, and so I wouldn't get a big head. Am I teaching you well? So I wouldn't get a big head. I was given the gift of a handicap. The blessing of a disability. To keep me in constant touch with my limitations. Satan's angel did his best to get me down. When in fact what he did was push me to my knees. No danger then at this point, of walking around high and mighty. Paul understood the workings of God to humble his sons. Paul understood that a level of requirement, a level of responsibility in working with God will come at a level of regulation to keep you straight. Why? Because the average person wants, having noticed that everybody is trying to do what they can get away with. That's the innate human nature. Whatever you can get away with makes you feel self-validated. Everybody wants what they don't have to pay for. Everybody wants what there's no consequence for. A job where you're penalized for coming late, a job where you're not allowed to come late, you choose the one where you're not penalized for coming late. Because you're not about to learn more discipline. Grace is God's ability to forbear hardship. Forbear difficulty. Grace is how you navigate through a trouble that has your name on it. Verse 8, go back on. So he goes, at first, I didn't think of it as a gift and begged God to remove it. Whose story does that sound like? Three times I did that and he told me, my grace is enough. It is all you need. Back up to verse 8 and give me the tippity. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this. Go on. But he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weakness for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. The message is 9 and 10. And then he told me, my grace is enough, it's all you need. My strength comes into its own in your weakness. Once I heard that, I was glad to let it happen. I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. It was a case of Christ's strength. And I understand this firsthand. I understand how deliberate about me God is. That he will visit me even when I don't want to be visited. He will arrange me when I don't feel like being arranged. Because for my good. So stop seeing grace as an escape route out of difficulty. 
See it as God's enablement for you to go through what you are required to go through. Does that make sense? And again, I've said it one over. Don't say, oh, you don't know what I'm going through. I don't understand. I just say we're saying grace, throwing grace up and down. It is grace that is carrying us up and down. Grace. We are what we are by the grace of God. The grace of God is the totality of the ability of God now resident in man. That's why we must be conscious of it. Not receiving it, you have received. Of his fullness, you have received. And grace for grace. Of his fullness, you have received grace. And grace for grace. Remember that? Grace upon grace. So what you are receiving is not grace. What you are receiving by the teaching of God's word is consciousness about the grace you have received. So you can start to leverage it to bring to bear upon your life. Has this helped anybody? Let's do that grace creed one more time. Do it with me very quickly. Especially for the benefit of those who have not been here for the earlier part of the series. I affirm and declare that I am a son of God. Justified by grace through faith and accepted in the beloved. I am an heir of the Father and joint heir with the Son. The Spirit of God dwells in me and I am seated with Christ in the heavenly. I affirm that the grace of God is fully at work in my life. The life that I now live by the faith of the Son of God. Therefore, I am conscious of God's divine ability. Which is now fully resident in me. Empowering me to walk worthy of my calling. And to be Christ on display. His grace equips me for supernatural possibilities. And extraordinary capabilities within the remit of God's will as captured in the faith of God. Nothing is impossible to me. I enjoy boundless favor with God and with man. By grace I am saved. By grace I am sustained. By grace, I am preserved. By grace, I navigate and overcome adversity. By grace, I am edified. By grace, I grow in sound doctrine. By grace, I appropriate all that is mine in Christ Jesus. Henceforth and always, I remain fully conscious. Deliberately aware of the unlimited workings of the grace of God in every area of my life. For it is by grace that I am what I am and the grace of God towards me is not and will not ever be in vain. Hallelujah. Come on, give him praise in here. Hallelujah. We are grace conscious people. 
Well, that's it for today's teaching. We trust it has been worth your time. For more of these messages from our stables, kindly subscribe to our teaching podcast at www.thebasileacommission.podbean.com or via the Podbean app on your mobile device. For inquiries and further information, kindly send us an email to info at thebasileacommission.org or find us on social media with the handles at the truth simply put or at while the church. You can also send us an SMS, call us, or connect with us via WhatsApp on plus two three four seven zero triple eight one double eight six four. Finally, if you would like to give to support the work that we do, kindly follow the Patreon link in our podcast or contact our office for details. Thank you.